Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us to the last chapter, the last step into the book of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for lessons learned. Thank you for everything we've talked about right from the very first chapter, whether it's about baptism, whether it's about division in the church, whether it's about handling sin, handling disagreements, marital issues, sexual immorality, food, head covering, spiritual gifts, whatever it has been. Thank you for clarity. Thank you for truth. Thank you for equipping us to apply this message to our lives. And Lord, even as we wrap up uh, this book today, I pray that you are glorified. I pray that once again, the truth of your word rings out in our hearts. There is no confusion. There is no contradiction. And you are glorified through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I'm just in the chat. I said we've heard that before. No, Allah, I will prove you all wrong. <laughs> but good morning, good afternoon, good day, everyone. And whoever is listening to this right now, um, welcome to 1 Corinthians part 27. A few weeks ago, Ayo said we will finish 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians will not finish us. And we stand at the precipice of prophecy <laughs> as we finish the book of 1 Corinthians. Woo! <laughs> um, so yes, today we're going straight into 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The very last chapter as Paul wraps up the book or the letter written to these people i'm not going to spend so much time in chapter 15 again because it's a completely different section if you want to listen to that listen to the past two teachings i think two or three i'm not sure anymore but two teachings on the resurrection right today we're just going right into the very last chapter so get your bibles get your writing materials get your notepads let's get right into it i'm reading from the nkjv of course, like I said in the prayer, and like we've been talking about, I, I actually tracked back to see when we started teaching first grade, and it was since March, right? So we've spent the better part of this year um, in this book, and it's been it's been great. It's been necessary, and I'm sure we've learned more than one or two things, right? If it's just one or two things, there's a problem. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just even thinking about it, 27 teachings every week, that's like, Oh, wow. So Delight has only known First Corinthians since she joined. Um, yeah, so divided by four, that's like how many months? I don't know, including the breaks and everything. But yeah, First Corinthians part 20. If you consider one hour, 30 minutes for each teaching, mathematicians, that's how many? That's like almost 40 hours, Abby. <laughs> so when you're doing recap, I leave you to, I leave you to the teachings <laughs> to figure out all that you've forgotten and all that you should keep in mind um but today we will try to wrap up the book if god wills i was preparing my notes and i said i i think we can finish today i i think so um but let's see what god has for us <laughs> all right first corinthians 16 verse 1 again i don't think any uh he said we should finish and then do recap Actually, that would not have been bad, but there's just still so much to cover. I would let recap be. Well, I'll consider it, sir. Maybe if you can make a strong case, we can recap the entire book 
let me do a question and answer on the entire book it's not a bad idea but i'm like every week is precious because of the timeline i'm running with now but um it might not be a bad idea uh but <laughs> yes since the start oh i should recap today okay maybe if i can finish early maybe i'll do a recap maybe i'll do a recap that's actually not a bad idea okay then let's just go right into first corinthians 16 and then we'll do a recap it says verse one now concerning the collection for the saints as i've given orders to the churches of galatia so you must also do so the final or one of the final things paul starts to talk about is what's the collection of the saints this is not talking about rapture. This is collecting money from the believers in other churches. Right? It says, I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, and you also must do this. Now, already right off the bat, what this shows, and from verse 1 to verse 4, talks about giving in the church. We're going to spend a lot of time there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 giving a christian approach to giving do you actually give and uh it's a you reap a hundredfold what does that mean all of that we're going to talk about that in second corinthians but for for starters again remember this is a letter written not to you it's a letter written to people that lived thousands of years ago and by reading the letter we can understand how god was working in that community and it gives us an idea to how we should expect to see god working in our community right but what we can see from here already two things number one was that churches gave to support other churches again what is a church a church is not a building a church is not a banner a church is not uh a name a church is a group of believers a church is a group of believers and so we see believers that meet in one geographical location setting aside money to help believers in another geographic location as the need arose we're going to talk about that but that's the first thing but the second thing you see is that giving was an instruction like literally paul said i have given orders to the church in Galatia and I am giving the same orders to you and so the very Paul and we're going to talk about that in the next few verses that in 1 Corinthians 9 said that he would not take from the people in Corinth so that the gospel will not be slandered now they are saved now they are discipled now they are a growing thriving church he now in the name of apostolic authority is able to in to 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 command them or to instruct them to act in accordance with the word i'm going to talk about that in a few verses that there's a difference between what paul was saying in first corinthians 9 and what he's asking now we're going to see that but first of all um we see that the church gave and we see that it was an instruction it was an instruction why were they given of course this way they were collecting money to send to the believers in judea and jerusalem now people are divided some uh, well not necessarily divided we have a few hints as to why the believers there needed money the first one was perhaps there was a famine 
in Acts 11, 28 to 30. Acts 11, 28 to 30. It says, one of them, Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the day of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability. I love the fact that whenever giving was seen in the New Testament church, they always made sure you knew it was according to the ability. You can highlight that verse. So for some, you say, ah, I can't give more than that. That's fine. Tom, your ability is not there. Uh, if you say you gave $1,000, that's not according to your ability. You are, you are a thief. You can't give more than that. <laughs> you can't give more than that. But we'll get there. It says, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. They, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this was probably one of the reasons, right? There was, there was uh, a famine, and it's amazing. We're going to touch. We're going to see that much later in in I think Second Corinthians. But there was that idea, or I think actually Thessalonians, where it's like, oh, the gospel came from Jerusalem. Like God, thank you for Israel and the church in Israel. You, Acts eleven verse twenty eight to thirty. Acts 11, verse 28 to 30. The gospel came from Israel. Oh, wow. Thank God. Remember, if you remember two phrases I've touched on before, the first one, salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. The second one, um, um, where Paul was speaking in Romans 1, where it says, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So in in, in describing salvation, we have that number one salvation is of the jews number two salvation is to the jews first one refers to source the other refers to audience that in god's sovereign plan salvation came through the seed of abraham through the jews through um israel jesus was jewish he was not yoruba he was not american jesus was jewish God committed himself to that people group. Hi, Christina. It's good to see you. Not only that, but salvation was ministered to the Jews first. And so we have right from Abraham, it's not even Jesus, right from the proclamation of I would raise up a seed. It's always been the Jews. David, I'll raise up a king. Oh, I'll raise up a prophet like you, Moses in Deuteronomy. And then the Messiah comes and his audience is largely Jewish. So much so that he doesn't go to any Gentile nation. He even tells the disciples, don't go to any Gentile city. Minister salvation and repentance, the, the coming of the kingdom to the Jews. Such that after he dies, after the spirit is poured out, then he says, go into all the world. And so the Jews were the first audience. If you take time to study the book of Acts and you look at the life of Paul, and his ministry you would always notice one thing and i'm going to highlight this in romans 19 and 11. wherever he goes to he spends time teaching he goes to the synagogue he tries to teach the jews but then they reject the message and then he has to turn to the gentiles and so even in his teaching there was that sense that oh wow it's the jews first not that they are better we're going to talk about that in romans but that in god's sovereign wisdom it came from them and they were the first recipients of the message such that the Gentiles later get into it and they're like, God, thank you for the church in Jerusalem. God, thank you for the church in Jerusalem. And so they hear that, oh, wow, my brothers in Judea are suffering. 
Yes, I can't give them anything much else. They gave me salvation. The least I can do is give them my material wealth. The least I can do is help them overcome physical hardships. If I received such spiritual gifts, why can't I? And it's the same idea that goes into uh, giving to your to your teachers or giving to church and all of that is that once you realize the value of what you received in salvation it's like it's kind of like god as well like god you've given me the gift of your son like what else can't i give you in return what else can't i give you in return and that's why we joke for instance that in salvation you don't give your life to christ but there is still a giving of your life that will happen after salvation, which is what ministry, devotion, service, that God, you've given me your best. What? That's why I have nothing to give you, but no, no, no. You have much more. You can give yourself, presenting yourselves a living sacrifice. It's the same thing that this um, the early church had in mind, that what can we give the church in Jerusalem? They've given us so much. And this was an opportunity to be a part this was an opportunity to be a part. So that's probably one of the reasons. Another reason might be, I mean, this was Jerusalem. Um, the, the Christians there, even if there was no famine, things were not easy. It's not easy to advance or to stand for Christ in the very city he was killed and rejected. It was not easy. To stand in the name of the same God of Israel in the very city where God revealed himself. And so, for instance, in Hebrews 10 verse 34, Hebrews 10 verse 34, it gives, an, it, it gives us an insight into the kind of persecution that many Jews were facing or Jewish Christians. He said, you, Hebrews 10 34, you joyfully accepted me, the plun, you, sorry, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven right people were literally they lost properties they lost properties and so even in romans 15 verse 26 and 27 romans 15 26 and 27 it says it pleased those from macedonia and ikea talking about asia right where corinth is also a part of to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in jerusalem do you see that it says in verse 27 it pleased them indeed and they are their debtors for if the gentiles have been partakers of their talking about jerusalem's spiritual things their duty is not i feel like their duty is to minister to them in material things to minister to them which is exactly what i was saying that they are like, oh wow, if God or if you Jews have brought this good news to us, the least I can do is just help you if you are in need. That's the least I can do. That's the least I can do. Amen. So that's what he's talking about here. Now he gives, he tells them what kind of instruction. How should they give? He says, on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, right and many people have agreed that this is the lord's day so oh this is why christians um worship on sunday and not saturday right it's fine i'm not going to go into that debate we've already talked about um in first corinthians where paul says that someone regards a day as holier than the other someone regards every day as holy it's all fine 
just honor God <laughs> with your life. Um, but on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he or she may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. This verse alone, if we should apply it, it would help us solve many issues we have with giving today. First of all, it says, each one of you, each one of you. So the instruction is that everyone participates as much as they can. If you are earning, you have a responsibility to give. It's one of the ways you honor God, right? That with your wealth, yes, you're honoring with your time. Yes, you're honoring with, but with your wealth or with what you earn. As long as you have the ability to, it says a lot. It says a lot. Pastor Aaron will always say that how you spend, all I have to do is look at your bank statement. I can tell what matters to you beyond your fixed expenses. If I say, Ayo, $200 on shoes. I say, oh, Ayo likes shoes. I know Ayo likes shoes. And $50 on ice cream, $60 on cake. $70 on, on, on what now? Chick-fil-A. Say, ah, mommy, ah, mommy, ah, you like to eat. You like to eat. <laughs> you like to eat. Literally, all you have to do is look at a person's bank statement. You can tell unless they have uh, a big, a big man or a big woman on top of them. <laughs> a, 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 I, what's it called? Now they said, uh, no uh sucrose benefactor that's the that's the new word <laughs> right a sugar daddy or a sugar mommy hey, maybe i will not tell maybe but if it's your own money uh-huh. all i have to do is look at your monthly bank statements <laughs> okay uh, or your or your yearly i can say oh okay beyond rent beyond uh transportation i can say oh tickets to this tickets to that ticket oh this person likes to go out oh i see this drink this, oh this person goes to bar and um, goes to sorry goes to drink or something like that i can also see oh donation to this donation to this donation oh this person loves to give and with the way we you spend we can tell what really matters to your heart we can tell if you spent a thousand dollars on shoes in a month but we only hundreds it he said, God, I have nothing to give you but to thank you. Just take this one. Who am I, Lord, that I should give you money? You are a thief. <laughs> you are a liar and a thief. Hundred dollars. You just give it once. You say, ah, there's a problem. There's a problem. Right? It says, let each one of you set something aside. So first of all, the encouragement was to everyone. And I like, I think, other translations. When, when you read that, it says... Um, let me see the KJV. Yes. Let every one of you lay by him. In the Greek, it's himself in store. It's personal. It's personal. You literally decide. So the first thing is each of you, everyone participates. The second one is you lay aside by yourself. You decide. I think in second Corinthians, it says, according to what you have proposed in your heart, you set it aside. You decide this is what. I look at all I have and I think this is what makes sense to give for people. 
The third thing was that it was to meet a financial need or it was to meet needs in the church. So right now, whether it's to meet the needs of other believers elsewhere, whether it's to meet the needs of believers in the body, if you remember Acts 2 and Acts 4, that they brought their money to help those who said no one lacked because everyone shared what they had. That is God's idea, that through the generosity of those who have, the have-nots will also have. Amen. That's the next thing. It was to meet a clear need in the church. Then it says, storing up as he may prosper. I highlighted that word in my Bible because it shows again, it's clearly relative to financial ability. It's relative. I mean, clearly God regards proportion as an indicator of generosity. Don't deceive yourself. God regards proportion as an indicator of of generosity. And that's why when the widow dropped her two mites, first of all, he was watching to see how much people were dropping. Second, he said the widow gave more than everyone else. Why? Because he paid them the most. (laughs) Compared to what she had, she gave more. She gave more. And so Elon donating a billion dollars. Imagine if Elon should say, say, man of God, I sense the call of God on your life. Take this billion dollars and do the, I'll say, sir, kneel down. Let me pray for you. I will bless you with my heart. <laughs> I will, I'll say, you will never laugh. Even if you were going to laugh, I don't know how. Anyone that, ah. <laughs> so whenever you need prayers, just call me, sir. <laughs> just call. I'm just kidding. But, that billion dollars will do you know what a church would do with one billion dollars do you know what they would do that year they will be on tv that is as they say me let me let me kneel down you lay hands on me shame um that year they'll go on tv that year they'll open i don't know how many branches that year, only god knows permanent sites everywhere <laughs> every branch you're currently located it's a permanent site in me you say Owner, how much do you need? Just name it. Just write a blank check. Whatever you write, that's it. The place is ours. <laughs> that's what will happen in one year. As in, ah, you just call Kali. Hey, guys, uh, we own this place. It's no longer yours. Yes, yes. Uh, you say, don't worry about the pimp. Don't worry about that. We, we own the place. We need it for our yearly events. We <laughs> just set aside <laughs> that venue, right? You can do a lot. But think about the fact that to God, Elon giving a billion might not be as much as a person on 30k salary saying, God, I see this need. Take 15k. Take 15k. It's like, oh, wow. In the eyes of God, that person may have actually given more. And it's incredible to see. It just lets you know that at the end of the day, yes, the actual amount is amazing. And I'm not I'm not saying that so that, okay, if you're a billionaire, you have to now give half of your salary. Oh, sorry, half of your net worth to God. No, no, no. I mean, how many needs if you're a billionaire will actually be so Your half of your net worth will probably solve most of the problems in the world. But my point is, it shows that when it comes to giving, God looks beyond the amount. God sees the heart. God sees, like, generosity. My point is, generosity is not necessarily a function of amount. 
It's not necessarily a function of amount. And so that's exactly what happened. Rich people came, dropped money. Man of God. Hey, money, yeah. (laughs) Apostle to the marketplace. And then this woman comes and just gives two mites. And Jesus said she has given more than all of them. More than all of them. That on the scale of God's perspective, if God should say who was more generous or who was the most generous person that visited the temple today, it's that widow. Because at the end of the day, the way you handle money is a heart thing. It says a lot about your heart. God is, and that's why, and it's that same principle. It's even beyond money. And I want you to think about that in your interaction with God. It's the same thing Jesus said, that he that is faithful in little, he didn't say will be faithful in much. Check the text. It says, he that is faithful in little is faithful in much. That in the eyes of God, how you handle little things is a clear indicator of how you handle the big, big things. If you are generous with little, in the eyes of God, you are generous with much. If you are faithful with a few flock, in the eyes of God, you are faithful with a million souls. And why? So that just shows that when we stand before God, you will be very surprised. You will be very surprised at how our works will be evaluated. Because from a, as humans, we are prone to judging based on quantity. You see someone with a million congregation, you're like, oh my God, such a... And yes, many times, the people that, like many times, hopefully, people that get to that kind of level, they are faithful with God's flock. I would love to hope so. But my point is that God is not going to say, oh wow, mega church pastor. And then the pastor that had 100 members that he faithfully cared for, he faithfully discipled, you will be very surprised. Because in the eyes of God, faithfulness in little is faithfulness in much. So I'm not saying that, oh, the pastor that, no, you can be faithful in much. In fact, you that is that is the, the principle of reward, right? That take more, take 10 cities. You've been faithful with this, take even more to manage. I'm just letting us know that when we stand before God and God evaluates our hearts, there will be a lot of surprises because it will not be necessarily based on what people saw. It might not be based on quantity as we think. It's just that that state of the heart. If God wants to say, oh, how generous are you really? It will not be by necessarily how much you gave, but it will probably be how much you gave compared to what you had. That we can say, oh, wow, indeed, money does not have a hold over you. I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. So that's the next thing. It was relative to financial status, which is why the percentage rule seems to make sense even till now. And while, yes, we might not tie it as Israelites, we might not, but it still makes sense that if I can discipline myself, it, it helps keep your greed in check. It helps keep keep um, keep you con- over, like consistently or one step above um, the need to have money because you're like, no matter what I make, 10% goes to God. It's a very easy way of saying, oh, I can check my heart. Such that even maybe in one year, like, maybe I need to start giving more. Let me start giving 20%. So it's not even about the money anymore. You are able to, regardless of the income, say, this is for God. It's a great way to keep the heart in check. Great way to keep the heart in check. 
And it's a great way to make sure everyone gives relative to what they have. So that you just you don't say we need everyone to give ten thousand. Ten thousand might be a lot to to someone like me, but to Momian or to Shei, ah, what is ten thousand? Say, Pastor, challenge just more, challenge just more, <laughs> right? So it's it's it also it also makes sense practically. But that's the next thing. The next thing he says is that that there be no collections when I come. And I like that because what he's saying is that he, Paul doesn't want a case where he finally gets to Corinth and he's like, okay, we need to gather money for Jerusalem. And everyone is crying, ah, ah, let me go. Ah, this money is here. Ah, I, I wish I knew earlier. He wanted it to be systematic so that it would avoid rushed or impulsive giving. Do you see that? First of all, it makes sense because at the moment, you might not even be able to give more as much as if you had been given $100 from the start of the year. By December, you would have collected $1,200. As opposed to someone coming in December, boom, says, man of God, we need $1,000. I say, ah, I don't have $1,000 to give you cash. It's, it's the same idea of, of saving. If you had been setting aside, setting aside, we're able to give more and it's going to be less of a burden. And so what you are starting to see is that this is literally just a common sense thing. Like, it's not deep in code. Like, Paul just wants it to be that everyone is able to con just, just contribute money for these guys in a way that no one is overly burdened. That's it. And that now tells you that hmm, maybe there's something wrong about demanding money from people in a very rushed, impulsive state. I don't think we have that example in scriptures. Yes, in the spur of the moment, God can ask you to make, to give a dangerous seed. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. But generally, as a biblical principle, giving was meant to be systematic. Giving was meant, it was not meant to be in a way that all of a sudden, you are in lack. Why? You see, I, I gave I, I gave out of faith. Ah. Paul said, it's according to your how you have prospered. <laughs> he didn't say empty your bank account. He said, set aside money regularly, such that when the need arises, you will not have to be rushing to gather money. Do you see that? I, I think it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. He tells them way ahead of hand that guys, we're going to give money to these people every first day of the week. Set aside. Let 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 it be there. Set that set that money aside based on what you earned. Such that when I come, you just gather everything. No one is put under undue pressure. No one has to struggle because they've obeyed God in generosity. And everyone gives according to what they have. That was Paul's idea. That was Paul's idea. And dare I say, that is the biblical idea of giving. We're going to, we're going to talk about it properly in 2 Corinthians. We will look through even the Old Testament, the whole giving, tithing, every, we'll talk about it at once. But just here alone, it's very clear. It's not meant to be rushed, impulsive. No. This is something you've decided that, oh, you take time. You look at how God has blessed you. Let's say, I don't know what your salary... Oh, for us now, it's monthly salary, so we don't even have to. For them, it could have varied week in week out. It's really like a, for people, 
let's say if you're a trader or you're a businessman, your income may vary. You, you look at it, oh wow, this is how much I made this month. God, you own my heart, you own my wealth. I'm going to give this out. And you set it aside. Next month, you do the same thing again. The month after, you do the same thing again. Yes, in church now, we collect it every... So it's, you can just keep giving. But that's the idea. That at no point should it ever be burdensome. Of course, there are times where, like Paul said, he said, out of their poverty, they give. There are times where you, you like, you know what? This need is greater than mine. Just take the money. Just take the money. And God also honors that. God also honors that. I want you to know that. But in ideal circumstances, it is to be systematic, pre-planned, and consistent with your income. That, that is literally the common sense approach to giving. That is the common sense approach to giving. And then he goes on, he says, and when I come, whoever you approve by your letters, I would send to bear your gifts to Jerusalem. So the second, the other side of this is that there should be accountability from a church perspective. You don't give and no one knows what has, no. If you are giving to a church, if you are giving to a work, if you are giving to God in quotes, because God is not eating dollars. God is not buying anything. But if you are giving to the work of the gospel on the earth, there should be clear accountability in how the money is handled, in who handles the money. I mean, look at this. It says, when I come, I'm not just going to send anyone. Whoever you approve, you guys look among yourself. Who are the people that can actually handle our offering? On Sunday, I saw someone that was holding our offering money and she was smiling. <laughs> Whoever you approve, I would send to carry that gift. So that we will not have a case of, ah, Shei, where is our money? Talk where? What have you done with the money of the saints? Right? trustworthy people that have the approval of the church that just screams accountability and even then we know clearly what the money is going for and that's why i respect churches that at the end of the year they are able to send like they, they tell the members oh this is what came in this is what we've used the money to do i know of many good churches they get audited they get audited that this is what came in we're not using it to to buy how um you say ah pastor likes uh, Benz he doesn't like Honda let's buy pastor Benz no we can clearly see that the money that was given was used for what people gave it for which is for the work the church should be that transparent everyone who gave in Corinth knew they were given to help the saints in Jerusalem and they chose trustworthy people to transfer that money. Not only that, Paul in verse 4 now says, if it is fitting that I go also, just to even make it clear, that even if, if there's a need for me to go, we would all go together. They will go with me. Accountability. Accountability. Every church should be accountable. You don't just tell me, oh, you've given to God. You've given to God. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. I, I didn't give to God. I gave to you, sir. I gave to this church for a certain reason. Let us see 
what is happening with our money. It's important. It's very important. Very, very, very important. And so all of a sudden, it's it's almost as though Paul is demystifying giving. It's not more just some some weird, I don't want to use the word weird, maybe mystical, well, mystical also sounds weird, but it's not just something you do that, oh, I'm just giving to God so that he will bless me and I will never lack. No, 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 no. There is a clear need. These people don't have money. You have money. Set aside money. Let's carry it to them. It's, it's, It's that simple. It's that simple. Such that if there was no need I want you to think about that. Well, it's not going like the Bible says there would always be the poor among you. But it's a case of if your ministry, if the ministers did not need anything, if the members did not need anything, if no other church needed anything, maybe if, if the gospel did, you didn't need to prat new blood, there will be no need to give. Literally, like if there was no need, there will be no need to give. But there are many needs. <laughs> there are, there are, see, yeah. There are many needs. I, I spend time talking with a lot of pastors about their churches and like the financial aspect of that. Omo, there are many needs. Mommy Han can tell you the church needs money. A lot of times, like, hey, how this church? <laughs> oh my God. I was talking with a pastor a couple months ago and we were just talking about just the sound speakers microphones mixers i was in shock i was in shock i was in shock because the church has needs first of all ministers of the gospel that probably don't even have any other source of income they have needs they are laboring on your behalf they have needs not only that, there are people that are not doing well, people that have financial needs in the church. They have needs. These are not lazy people. People that actually maybe a rough patch in life, maybe they don't have, they don't just have, like life happens. They have needs. They have needs. There are churches in the world today, like persecuted nations. Believers there that they can't even identify as Christians in public. Or some, like they have needs. They have needs. The church needs to grow, grow into new territory. The message needs to be spread. Do you know how much it costs to put your 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 to put the gospel on radio or to put the gospel on TV? Do you know how much it costs? There are needs. Do you know how much rent costs <laughs> to just say you want to be having service in a particular? Do you know how much rent costs? There are needs. Right, and so there are actually many, many needs. I want you to realize that when you are giving, especially if you belong to a good church, it should be clear that as you give, you are giving to meet a particular and God honors it. I'm not saying any of this that God doesn't bless giving, He does, but that's not even why we give. We give first and foremost because we have enough to give, and there are needs that's why we give. Why do you need? blessing in return before you are motivated to say ah this person is suffering ah but god will not bless me if i give him ah he's on his own no i'm sorry i'm so, so you are selfish you are greedy and you are selfish that you need god to give you back more than you gave before you give you are you are a wicked person so the the fact that someone doesn't have 
is not enough motivation, and you do, is not enough motivation to give. There's a problem. It says a lot about your heart. Now, does God bless? Yes. Is that our motivation for giving? Not the primary one by any means. We'll get there in 2 Corinthians 8. Anyways, that's on, on giving. I hope it's clear. I hope it's clear. Thumbs up if it makes sense. Awesome. Awesome. It's pretty clear. All right, let's go on. It says, now, he's talking about plans for travel. I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. For I'm passing through Macedonia. Right? Um, I think a lot of people agree that this coincides with Acts 16 verse 9. When Paul had a vision and people were like, oh, come to Macedonia to help us. And they decided in their hearts they were going to go to Macedonia. So Paul is like, I will go to Macedonia. I'm in Ephesus right now. I will go to Macedonia, then I'll come and see you guys. I don't want to come first because I still have to go to Macedonia. So let me come and spend time. I how do you you have that you know that friend that say, Oh, let me go here first and I'll, so that I will spend time with you. That's exactly what is happening. It says, and it will be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. Just practical stuff. Um, there's not much theologically here. However, I want you to take note of what he says in verse 6. It says, I would spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey. Isn't this the same Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 that said that he refuses (laughs) to take anything, anything from them? Do you remember that? That was literally what the entire chapter was about that he would present the gospel of Jesus without charge and not abuse his authority in Christ. How come here, Paul is like, oh, I will come and you guys will take care of me. And then not only that, you will send me to the next place I'm going. You give me transport fare and food (laughs) to, to go to the next place I'm going. And that just makes it clear. And like we saw in Philippians, number one, Paul was not against receiving financial help. A lot of times people, people make a blanket statement and said, no, Paul preached out of his own pocket. Calm down. It's not true. It's not true. When we read Philippians, said, time and time again, you supplied my need where people were not able to. In fact, that was the whole point. My God shall supply because you've supplied mine. It was a prayer. Paul received financial help multiple times. Again, this is where context would save you. What Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 9, if you remember, was that upon preaching the gospel to those at Corinth, if he collected money from them, it would have been hard for the gospel to have gained ground in Corinth. And so for that situation and for that context, he decided to work while preaching the gospel it's even very possible that for many of the churches paul went to many of the areas before there was ever a church paul would either receive help from other churches or work in that or and work in that location so that people would be like oh no paul is not here to collect my money paul just wants to tell me the gospel but paul had no problems once a church was established receiving help from them He had no problems. And that's exactly what we see here. In the presentation of the gospel, I would not make it look like you have to give for you to be saved. But now that you are saved, 
now that you understand better, now that you've received the truth of the gospel, I would, number one, I would even instruct you to give to people that need. But I would also not be against, in fact, I can even say, ah, Ayo, I'm coming to Pennsylvania. I won't say that, me, right now. I'm just giving an example, please. But Ayo, I'm coming to Pennsylvania. I need a place to stay. I need food. And from there, I'm going to Missouri. <laughs> you help me. You understand, Abby? You help me. Uh... <laughs> um, Paul had no problems with that. He had no problems with that. Uh, of course, not in a demanding you must way, but this is something, amen, I love that. This is something that they were willing to do. And so, what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 16, 6 is not what he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, he's talking about choosing not to charge the people he's preaching to to take care of his welfare so that he doesn't hinder them from receiving the message that's what he's talking about now they are disciples now people are saved now the knowledge of god is clear to many many people in corinth it's clear that it was not about the money now that that is clear i have no problems receiving of you does that make sense does that make sense? I, I believe it's clear. Even in uh in in um in like celebration church, right? I know like in apostolic visits, I don't they don't collect offerings per se, but in church service they do. <laughs> Why? Because I am here to present a message. I don't need your money. Just say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. And then we can teach you what giving looks like. We can teach you what giving looks like. Yes, first Corinthians is one letter. Yes. Yes. Why do you ask? Maybe at the end. But yes, first Corinthians. Yes, everything. Paul wrote this, Paul wrote it at the same time. So what Paul was doing in first Corinthians was explaining why he did not remember Paul is not in Corinth. He was explaining why he did not collect money when he came. When he came. Right? So it's not, it's not like, oh, no, 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 no. He was explaining why he was using himself as an example that when I came to you. I did not. I did not do this. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. So that the gospel will not. But now, <laughs> you people will receive me. You will take care of me. He has no problems doing that. All right. Um, let's go on. It says, For I do not wish to see you now on the way. Again, it's like that friend that, oh, you know, when I've called everybody, I will call you because I know that our conversation will take at least two hours. So let me just call all my five five minute calls then i will call that's exactly what paul is doing uh, Ayo, why are you looking at the other way <laughs> he's saying i don't wish to see you on the way no 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 i hope to stay a while with you if the lord permits if the lord permits is i'm looking at Shay. if the lord permits and i like that this is where things like by god's grace came from that's like oh at the interview, you say, would you be able to get this job done in one hour? You say, sir, by God's grace. <laughs> and then you lose the job because you are not wise. But <laughs> we can actually take something from this. Like, Paul is literally just talking about travel plans. And he's like, if the Lord permits. Like, at the end of the day, all these plans, all my, all I'm doing is still going to be hinged on a realization of my lack. Of, I know that I'm not sovereign. It shows a trust in God. Oh, next year I will do this and this by God's grace. Oh, today I'm going to do this and this. And I'm not saying you have to stay by God's grace every time you talk. 
But that mindset should be there where you look at your life, you look at your plans, and it's not that you realize that it's not set in stone. Because human beings are thick. We're like smoke. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. God forbid you can literally, God forbid anyone here, someone can literally wake up. Oh, I'm going to do this today. And on your way, you get into a nasty accident. You are in the hospital for six months. Your plans have changed. We are weak creatures. Some people have COVID. <laughs> Say, oh, by today, I'll do this, do this, this. And then boom. So you have been exposed to the coronavirus and you can't step outside. All of a sudden. I remember when that it happened to me a couple more. I think I've gotten COVID twice this year that I know of. <laughs> that I know of. It can't even be more. <laughs> and maybe that's why nothing, nothing did body again. But um, I, the second time I wasn't even sick or anything. And I had, so what happened was there was a long holiday. It was Memorial Day, I think so. And so... The day after, we're getting new interns in our office. And my manager had already assigned me to be like their body mentor kind of thing where I would help them settle in, all of that. I was meant to go into the office every day that week. And I'm like, oh, okay, next week I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do that. Monday, we went out. Tuesday, Tuesday, I got a call. I said, hey, hey, brother. Uh, oh, no, sorry, this was the week prior. So I think it was Thursday. How you feeling? I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I, I feel weird, but I'm fine. I went to the gym, all of that. I said, oh, I think you should get tested. That a couple of us from church got tested and positive from COVID. I said, ah, wow, you don't mean it. I went outside. I bought a COVID test kit. I did this. I was positive. Yes, I was not sick or anything, thankfully. But I had to now message my manager that, ah, man proposes, God disposes. Oh, how do you to say it? I can't come next week. So I wasn't even able to help them. So I had to now be zooming in every day, all of that. All that to show that our plans can change like this. <laughs> Bouncing positive COVID. <laughs> our plans can change like this. You say, oh, I'll do this. I'll do that. One small thing and change and change everything. I, I know of I know of a, a family, very sad story. They're doing well. Kids were doing well, going to good schools. All of a sudden, literally all of a sudden, the mom got she, kidney failure or whatever it is, and she had to like start doing dialysis. That thing is expensive. Maybe I should actually go to Canada. As I'm saying it, I'm thinking of going to Canada. I need free healthcare, but but um. And every week, all of a sudden, they had to start paying thousands of naira to do a dialysis, like to run that, I think, twice a week. And I think once was like 30k or 50k. You know what it means to be spending 100k naira, guys? Not, not okay, for the audience, please, it's not dollars. 100k naira. But still, to pay 100,000 naira every that you did not plan for before. That's almost 500,000 a month, excluding medical bills, excluding drugs. And this is because there was nobody to transplant the kidney for. All of a sudden, things changed. They had to leave um, the children. They had to take them out of their schools. They had to go to private and public schools. All of a sudden, um, they had to leave their house. Like they had house. They had to sell everything. Like to the point where they need to start begging that, oh guys, please help us. If you asked them at the start of the year, 
before that sickness was diagnosed oh what are you where do you see yourself you know like, where do you see yourself in five years oh with the way my business is doing right now you know i foresee this 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 and i'll be here and life is fickle life doesn't work that way and so don't let by god's grace just be a cliche that you say because you are a christian actually realize that the outcome of your life doesn't depend on you the outcome of your life is not because you did the right things the outcome of life is not because you are no 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 learn to trust god with the outcome of your life even in the smallest things learn to trust god without he said so people thought they'll be married me i thought i'll be married at 25 that's next year but look at me <laughs> alone i came into the world alone i am <laughs> he said we still trust god nothing is impossible i still have a few months i still have a few months anything can happen anything can happen <laughs> god is the god of surprises you see what you say by this time next year according to the order of life <laughs> oh my god but really live your life realizing that god is sovereign and you're not that is why you pray that is why you look to him every single time that is like god it's not me it's not by my efforts i trust you i trust you i trust you amen and that's why it says i i, I wish to see you on the way but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Because Paul knows in this wild, wild world, any, I can be stuck at sea. I can, anything, literally anything can happen if the Lord permits. Live your life with that consciousness that this and this will happen by the grace of God. By the grace of God. He goes on and says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effective door has been opened unto me and there are many adversaries. A great and effective door has been opened unto me and there are many adversaries. So he's like, I want to come see you guys, but I need to be at Ephesus for a while. Why? Because I've seen an opportunity to preach the gospel. But, or you say, and there are many adversaries. And I, I like this verse because it just shows that clearly, just because God is at work, doesn't mean there won't be opposition. In fact, many times, it is the fact that it's because God is at work that there are oppositions. I use the example of a game for many people that play role-playing games or shooting games. One of the easiest ways to know, if you ever get lost and you start running around, one of the easiest ways to know you are in the right direction is that you start to see enemies coming. Like, oh, okay, this is the right way to go. If you don't see anybody, most likely you are, you are wasting your time. The enemy knows you are wasting your time. So there's nothing, nobody cares. But once you are going in the right direction, all of a sudden you start to see bullets. Ah, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go. It's the same thing with life, Right? Paul is like, there is a great and effective door here in Ephesus. The work, I see so much potential. But in the midst of that potential, there's still so many adversaries. And he just lets you know that don't, you can't use difficulty to, to, to evaluate. Say, oh, it was so hard to do this. It was so hard to do this. Maybe, maybe it's not God's will. Are you okay? <laughs> you know, it, it is God's will. It is God's will. Say, oh, the culture, oh, this and that. Oh, no, 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 no. In fact, it is for those reasons why it is God's will. 
there is a great and effectual door here. Here, rather. But there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries. In the words of uh, Bishop Uyedeko, he says, um, there's a way he said it, that when his enemies, he said, he's a booster. When people slander him, when he's faced with that, he said, it, it motivates me. That's where I get my motivation. Yes, I am doing the, I'm doing the right thing. Keep on talking. I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm doing the right thing. And so you see Paul teaching in Ephesus. You see the gospel as in Isabusta. You see the gospel prevailing. But yet, it's that same place where you saw that people ganged up against him and say, ah, Paul is, Paul is reading us of all our people and the blacksmiths and all those people. They gathered. If you remember Acts 19, right? Where the smiths, they gathered themselves and said, Ah, great is Diana of Ephesus. Great is, is that same Ephesus. Too. That same Ephesus. That same Ephesus. The same place where as soon as Paul got there, he was able to what? Teach for two years every day in the house of Tyrannus. Is that same Ephesus. The same Ephesus where the sons of Sceva tried to, to be like Paul and they chased them out naked. <laughs> Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, who are you? And he says what? The name of God was magnified in that city. Acts 19 verse 17. Acts 19 17. He says, it became known to all the Jews, all the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of Jesus was magnified. Verse 18. Many who believed came confessing, telling their deeds. Verse 19. Many people who had practiced magic, they brought their books together. They burned them in the sight of all. When they counted up the value, it was 50,000 pieces of silver. I don't know how much that means. Let me uh, check a modern translation. It says it was several million dollars. Do you know what it means for a work of God to so prevail in a city that people burn? They burn religious items worth millions of dollars. It can happen in our day. I believe you in my life. It can happen. There are stories, if you read God's generals, there are stories of some of these people, they entered cities and popular bars and, and prostitution houses shut down permanently. Because no, there was no more customer. That's what it means to say the gospel built in a city. It prevailed in a city. It can happen in our day. So I'm reading all the good parts. So this is the great and effectual door. Again, in Acts 19.20, so the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. And prevailed. And prevailed. That's all the cool stuff. That's all the cool stuff. But right after that, you start to see that they, they, they gather themselves. Say, ah, this Paul. He said, we don't have job again. We're no more making iron. We're no more making idols. And they said, great is the Diana of Ephesus. Great is Diana of Ephesus. They started to riot. They brought, um, Paul had to run away to go to Macedonia. So, Going back to 1 Corinthians, I'm just making it clear that never let opposition dictate to you how what the will of God is. Just because something is hard does not mean God is not there. In fact, many times, it means God is there. <laughs> it means God is there. It means God is there. 
Because if the devil is fighting hard, it shows that there's something valuable he's trying to protect. Keep going. Keep going. As a minister of the gospel, as a minister of reconciliation, wherever you find yourself and you just feel like there are so many challenges to doing what God has asked you to do in a city, in a place, but in the same place, you can't shake off that idea that this is where I'm meant to be. You see all the problems. We are like, this is where God wants. I want to encourage you, press on. Press on. Press on. Amen. All right, let's go on. It says, if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. So this was Timothy that Paul said he has sent them to Corinth. And I like how he says that, let him not be afraid, let him not be intimidated. Verse 11, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. You see that, right? The idea there is that, again, remember, Timothy was a young minister. He was a young guy. And he's like, receive him well. Receive him well. Let no one, like, who is this teenager that is coming to, uh, in the name of, who, who do you think you are? Say, don't, do you know how many wives I have? Do you have many business? No. It says, let no one despise him. Receive him as a minister of God. Why? He does the work of the Lord. And that just teaches us that in our kingdom, in the body of Christ, everyone, regardless of age, must receive the respect that is due to their office. If someone serves or, or represents God, honor them regardless of age honor them honor them honor them i mean jesus was what they said arguably 30 to 33 the disciples were probably teenagers young people maybe early 20s or something of course many of the people jesus taught were older than he was imagine you say ah say this 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 young jesus all these young ministers of nowadays you're never married how will you counsel me in my marital issues? I can't. I don't respect. No. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And that's what Paul is saying. Honor Timothy. All right, let's try to round up. I'm looking at the time. Momian, that summary. Only God will summarize this book. <laughs> it says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you as well. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. He'll come when he has a convenient time. And I like that. I can imagine Paul's like, ah, Brother Apollos, would you just help me go to Corinth? There's a lot of problems there. Please just. And Apollos is like, ah, Paul, I hear you. But at this time, it's not convenient for me. There's a lot going on on ministry at my own end. But don't worry. Once I have time, I will come. I, I can just imagine. There's really not much, but I just imagine that interaction. It's like, ah, and they're right. Apollos, now please, now please. Apollos, like, Paul, please, please, me too, please, please. Don't worry, don't worry. Soon. I, once things clear for me, I, I will go as well. I, I just find that very cool. Then he goes on, it says, watch, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Four different instructions that have been repeated in many, many, many epistles. He says, watch. 
And we've talked about this many, many times over. There are so many times you tell, you see the believer, he tells you, watch. What's that word? It means to literally stay awake, to be vigilant. It's the analogy also of like, let's say there is war going on. Say, oh, you are, you are taking night shift. You are watching to see the attack of the enemy. You are watching to make sure that nothing sneaks into the camp. You are watching to make sure that nothing happens. You are alert. And that's the analogy that Paul uses repeatedly. Watch and pray. Watch. Don't be sober. Don't sleep. Watch. Watch. And it it just makes it clear that as believers, we should always be on our toes. If, 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 if we see many instructions to watch, it means that it's very easy to sleep. Like I said, it's very easy to fall asleep. And what does it mean to fall asleep in today's world? Just think about that. Like, if, if the instructions are be alert, be aware of what the devil is doing, be vigilant, be, be weary of false doctrine, like, just be aware. What does it mean to fall asleep? It means all of a sudden, you're not even conscious of how through culture, how through through um, indoctrination, little by little, you are losing sight of what it means to be a believer. How many believers can you tell by their actions that Jesus is coming, that they really think that Jesus might come today or tomorrow? It shows that they are asleep. It's kind of like that question that if you were going to die tomorrow, or if you had just a week left, would you do things differently? For many of us, we probably would find things we would probably do. Maybe, like me now, if I if they say I have one week, I'll just submit resignation letter. I'll just start working on this. You just see, the next place you see me is on uh, Instagram. Say, who is this guy on the road? Just going around. I I don't even know. That would be a starting point. Everywhere on social media, I'll just start doing videos every day, every day. I'll go on the streets every day. Why? I'm dying in a week. And while yes, it doesn't mean that now you have to now resign. You have to, but there should still be a level of intensity that if you were actually awake, if you knew what the devil was doing, if you knew that Jesus was coming, there's a level of intensity that your life should have. There's a level of intensity that you'd be like, oh no, this one is fully awake. He's not asleep or she's not asleep. It says, watch. Watch. You can't be like the rest of unbelievers. Weekend after weekend is just to party. Every free time you get is just to chill. You have you fallen asleep. You are fast asleep after they've used blankets and they have covered you <laughs> as a believer. It says, watch. Watch. Don't let the devil sneak in, whether in your own personal life. That, oh, all of a sudden, you are doing things that ah, two years ago, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not comfortable watching this. I'm not comfortable reading this. I'm not comfortable being in this kind of environment. But all of a sudden, like, uh, that's just the world. We, no, no, no. Watch. Watch. Be on guard. Be alert. Be alert. Be alert. The devil will constantly try. He will be singing lullabies every day. Every time you open social media, the devil is like, go to sleep, go to sleep, close your seat. You go out, go to sleep, go to sleep. Let's say 
wealth or comfort. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Career, go to sleep. That's it. It's our responsibility as believers. <laughs> and the rock of our faith. That's the devil. As believers, be on guard. Refuse to have your senses dulled. At every moment, you are aware that your master is coming. You are on guard. You are standing strong. At every moment, you are aware that the devil is at work. You are standing strong. Amen. 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 It says watch. Then it says stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. Whenever you see that word, the faith, what does it mean? What does it mean? Question and answer. When you see the faith, what does it mean? You can put it in the chat. What does it mean? I'm waiting. Okay, faith in Christ. Mm. Kind of. Convictions. Yes, kind of. There's just one word I'm looking for. Well, convictions communicates it as well. And it's still ultimately faith in Christ. But whenever you see that word, the faith, it refers to the doctrines of Christianity. Pretty much exclusive, like the faith, the faith, the faith. It is the entire body of knowledge we have come to receive as salvation. So for instance, right, you see um, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Referring to the entire... So yeah, it's like, like you're not wrong at all. It's faith in Christ. It's your convictions. But it refers specifically to everything you've believed that makes you a believer. Ephesians 4.13 Till we all come to the unity of what? The faith. Meaning we all believe the same things. We all believe the same things. We all believe the same things. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10. The love of money is the root of all evil for which some have strayed from the faith. Some have strayed from the faith. Jude 1 3. Final verse. Jude 1 3. Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. When he says content for the faith, meaning that body of knowledge, who God is, what he has done in Christ, who are we as a result, Jesus is coming again, the, res the resurrection, that is the faith. And so when he says stand fast in the faith, he's saying hold true, hold firm in your life, the message of salvation. Don't, 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 don't compromise. This is literally a doctrinal persuasion. Don't compromise on any essential stand fast in the faith. you hear someone say ah, no just might not have because ah, ah. <laughs> be gone say you know this salvation by grace eh stand fast this resurrection things are we really eh stand fast 
hold fast to your convictions he then says be brave i like that what does it mean to be brave it means in the face of opposition you stand it's still a continuation of what we've talked about right remember he said there were many adversaries what does it mean to be brave? in the face of adversaries you stand you don't chicken out just because people are attacking your convictions no be brave not only that be strong that is the heart posture of a believer in a world where people are constantly trying to make you sleep where people are constantly trying to question your faith where people are constantly attacking your message and trying to bring you down in today's like for instance in the western world it might not even be through physical persecution just social social persecution ostracization whatever it may be you are the believer is constantly trying to be made to look like he doesn't know or she doesn't know what they are doing it says what stand fast be brave be strong be unashamedly unapologetically christian like i don't really care this is who i am this is what i believe amen and then he says let all that you do be done with love it's like that foundation we've talked about this at length in first corinthians 13 that in all these things let all you do be done with love again these are verses where you will probably benefit a lot more from just sitting down and reflecting on your life are there areas i am sleeping are there areas that i am compromising in my convictions and i be can i be braver or more brave Ayo, which one is it? Lawyer, please tell me. <laughs> but are there areas I can be, I don't know, braver? <laughs> braver. Yeah, I think it's braver. Is it not brave? People of God, help me. I don't know. Braver, Abby. Yes. Can I be braver? Can I be braver? Are there areas where I have I have chickened out in the face of persecution? Are there areas where I'm like, oh, I don't want, I don't want, com- no, no, no. Can I be brave? Can I be strong? Are there places where love does not guide my actions? It says, I urge you, brethren, verse 15, you know the household of Stephanas, the first fruits of Ikea, that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Very clear. The household of Stephanas were the first people that got saved in Ikea. And since that point on, they've given themselves to the ministry of the saints. Meaning what? I, I love the KJV. It says they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, whether it's in hospitality, providing for the needs, housing people, taking care, supply, whatever. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And it says what? Submit yourself to such people. Respect them. Honor them. It's the same thing we said. You see someone doing something for God honor that person honor that this is even beyond spiritual leaders and yes of course it starts from spiritual leaders but honor let's learn to honor one another that oh yomi i see what you are doing for god and i honor that Iyanu, i see what you're doing for god and i honor that it says submit to such people of course this is a case of leadership these are like deacons in the church but it says, submit to them and to everyone that works and labors. To everyone that works and labors. We are to be a people of honor, a people of respect. We regard one another highly. Not because of your bank account. That has never been reason for preferential treatment. Of course, you should still 
if you are a wise person you should there's a way to conduct yourself but more so in the body what counts is service and i see someone who serves week in week out i honor you i see someone who has given their life to god's work whether it's through administration whether it's through the preaching and teaching of god's word whether it's through the follow up and, and and just keeping making sure that people are 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 growing checking in on people i honor your service in our kingdom it is service it is service to god it is i am yeah, not serious it is service to god it is service to god that demands our honor when we look at the most honorable people in our body it should be the people that have poured out their lives in service more than any other person more than any other person amen it says i'm glad about the i'm glad about amen 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 say amen i'm glad about the coming of stefanas fortunatus you should name your child fortunatus i like that fortunatus that was my first son's name god forbid and i kekos i don't even know how to pronounce it i kekos for what was lacking on my part they supplied you see that right or what's lacking on your part they supplied meaning these people gave financially to help poor it is for they refreshed my spirit and yours therefore again what acknowledge such men we see it for timothy we see it for the house of stephanas again we see it for stephanas fortunatus and ikekos these people went out of their way to bring and to supply to paul they left corinth they are probably the ones that took the questions and everything ah paul this one is going on no paul come my edge this one is married living so they went to meet paul and they helped him financially they they brought stuff they probably helped comfort him all of that it says acknowledge such men most likely they are probably the ones returning with the letter acknowledge them honor them honor them as we wrap up it says the church of asia or the churches of asia they greet you so that's ephesus macedonia all of galatia right it says they greet you where paul was doing his work aquila and priscilla we'll talk about them a lot more very soon they greet you heartily in the lord with the lord with the church rather that's in their house it says all the brethren greet you greet one another with a holy kiss we've talked about this so many times that just the mere fact that you read this verse and all of a sudden you know that today i should not see a guy and kiss him it shows that instinctively we know that there is a clear cultural context to practical interactions with believers like it's so clear it's so clear it's so clear the next time anyone tells you hey come here come here ask them why don't you obey first corinthians 16:20 you have not i've not seen you kissing anybody that's not your wife why why you are a disobedient student of the word of god it's very clear and if we can read something like it i'm say oh by holy kiss it means affection it means a bond of love but then you read other practical applications and you are saying no no we must a man shall not wear what pertains to a woman a woman shall not wear what pertains to a man <laughs> it's very easy to come out of your mouth but you cannot kiss you cannot kiss your brother in church you are a hypocrite it shows that you either do not understand the bible or you are a hypocrite <laughs> hopefully it's the first and not the second 
Amen. Uh, as I round up, it says, this salutation is with my own hand, Paul. So what happens is that usually Paul is probably dictating this letter. And then there's a scribe or someone who is there with him writing down. Imagine, <laughs> we've been on this thing since March. Well, as if you read it at a go, it's not super long. But imagine Paul pacing his room, just walking around and saying, concerning spiritual gifts. And then the guy is writing. The guy is writing. Say, I would not have you ignorant. Hmm, what should I say? No one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. And then the guy is writing. That's so cool. But that's literally what was happening. Paul is like pouring out his mind. And I'm sure he's probably walking around. Me, I can bet he's probably walking around. And then the guy is like writing, writing, writing. He's like a proper literary guy. He's writing. It's like, okay, let's write it this way. Let's write it this way. Let's write it this way. And so what would then happen? As in, say, exactly. I like that. Say, no, no, no. Answer that part. Let, let, let's, let's say it another way. Let's say, <laughs> go back. Go back. I like that. And then at the end, what he will now do, he will now come and sign in his own handwriting. This letter is from Paul or whatever. So people will know that, okay, this is actually Paul's letter. But it's so cool. I, I find that very cool. <laughs> As in, you say, oh, say, ah, you're, you're tired, Abby. Say, me too, I'm tired. Let's continue tomorrow. Let's continue tomorrow. They will come back again. I hear that this, this, and this. No, ye not. <laughs> and the scribe's like, this poor guy. This poor guy is too deep. It's too deep. Say, <laughs> so slow down, sir. Slow down, slow down. Can you say it again? <laughs> Can you say it again? Oh, my gosh. But yeah, that's how letters were written for the most part. And then he ends in verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. I like that. Sometimes I was like, what just came to his mind? He's, he said, I'm writing, I'm signing. The next thing, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. It's the same thing he said in Galatians 1. Galatians 1, 8 to 9. That if an angel from heaven, even if it's us, preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. Or if anyone preaches any other gospel than what you have received, let him be accursed. Like Paul used to swear for people. <laughs> The word there is anathema in the Greek. And it literally means devoted unto destruction. Like you are cut off, set aside for destruction. And that's what Paul is reflecting on. That in, in this body, in this church, if there's anyone among you that, that know, that doesn't love God, doesn't love Jesus, reject them. They separate them from your fellowship. Let them be cast out. It's literally an, an injunction to excommunication. That there's someone in your midst that doesn't love Jesus. Ah. It's the same thing with false teachers, right? Let them be accursed. Then he says, Oh Lord, come. Ah. Like, just think about, I don't know, for me when I read, that's what I, just think about how Paul was, like, he's writing and he's like, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be cut off. Oh Lord, come. Maranatha. Maranatha. And it, it just it just shows the kind of disposition that God come quickly. Like, I don't know if you feel that way. Me have been feeling that way for many years now. God just come. And it just shows that you can, on one hand, still realize that there's work to be done, desire the salvation of men, but still desire the coming of God. And yes, there's a tension, there's a bit of a tension, but at least. Do you really can you can you be like Paul 
and there are just times in your day you just look at like, ah, God just come. <laughs> Jesus just, just come. You look at all the evil in the world. You look at inflation. Inflation is enough reason. Are you not tired? Are you not tired? You say, God, I am tired. Just come. <laughs> just come. Just come. It's an expectation. And it's it's funny how it was such a huge contrast to growing. Like the coming of God for me as a child was never something I looked forward to. I won't lie to you. It was only at night because every time before I go to bed, I ask God for forgiveness of sins. And so I'm like, God, if you are going to come, just time it in between when I slept and when I wake up because I know I will make heaven. But if it's while I'm awake, ah, ah, no, 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 no. Very, very poor, very poor understanding of salvation. Very poor understanding of, of what it means to be saved. Very poor. That like Paul, we can say, a man who knows he's not perfect, to say, oh Lord, come. Oh Lord, come. Because you know that with the coming of God, righteousness will be established. Evil will be, will be done for. Oh Lord, come. And then he ends. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and may love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. What was my definition of grace last year? I think I haven't been in the Pauline episode in a while. So I, I, I know I defined grace in the end of Paul's letters. I still remember what I know grace means, but I'm trying to see if anyone here wrote that down. I know some people joined this year, so they might not remember. But in many of the older teachings, if you remember, I always defined what grace was. When he says, grace be with you, who remembers? <laughs> if not, I have to give a second definition or a rephrased grace definition 2.0, especially in this context. <laughs> who remembers? Okay. I don't remember either, <laughs> but I think I remember saying it refers to the supernatural working of God or the supernatural enablement of God in a Christian community, right? And so when he says the grace of our Lord be with you, that's divine influence pretty much that people would look and say, I if I catch you. <laughs> that people would look at your community and say, oh, wow, God is with you guys because you see the way they relate. You see the way they behave. You see the interactions with one another. I say, you are a people of grace. You are a people of grace. Meaning that God's spirit is at work in you and we can see its effects. That's grace. Divine influence, pretty much. And it says, may love be with you all in Christ. Amen. 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 Oh, yes. Yes. That's why I was trying to remember because whenever Paul says, may grace be with you, may, may the love of God keep you, and stuff like that. It was always in the context of a community. It was always in the context. So when it says grace be with you, is yes, there's a personal level in which you've received grace, right? You've been saved. But he's talking about such such an influence in your community, just like it says in Acts, that people saw them and like, wow, wow, wow. Or when he says may love be with you, he's talking about a love for one another, a love for one another, or joy, or faith. These are things that, yes, they apply personally. 
but it should be seen in your communities. Is your community one where there is grace, where there is joy, where there is faith, where there is love? Amen. May the love be with you all in Christ Jesus and the people of God say, Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. We have officially, <laughs> officially come to the end of First Corinthians. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. It was a great time. It was a great time. It was a great time. Of course, if you have any questions, I it's the joy of finishing it. I can imagine when JTT finally finishes. Oh more, it's party we'll do. Is we'll actually do party. We'll, we'll buy food for everybody. So just come with food and let's just sit down and eat. <laughs> because it has been long. Oh yes, it will finish. Ah, you don't want it to finish. It will finish. We will not do a testament, not yet. <laughs> you have to pity me. Me too. Let me let let. let Maybe I'll buy for everyone, actually. Maybe. Maybe. Just pray that the Lord touches me. I say, God, speak to this man. I say, everybody, just send. We'll do DoorDash. Everyone will come. Chick-fil-A. We'll come on that Saturday morning. We'll eat. No, it will be virtual food. I'm not even joking. Just remind me. Just remind me. Remind me. <laughs> we'll do say, ah, all right, guys, As with your with your smoothie and your sandwich, you're like, let's just talk. What's how has it been <laughs> the past two years? But yes, uh, we're going straight, and I'll get to you now. We're going straight into First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, and probably Second Thessalonians. But we have officially finished <laughs> First Corinthians. Um, all right, Anne, what's your question? Can I can I speak, or oh, I should type? <laughs> you can go ahead. Okay, so um, I think my. My question is, it's not really a question, it's just a um, request for resources. So how do we um, how do we try to understand, like, is there a resource somewhere that tells us, that gives help, help me with, um, have a chronological understanding of where Paul is at a particular time, mm. where he is writing from. And because you see the way you were, you were referring back to the book of Acts. Yes. Um, back. So is there any resource that would make that easy for me? Because you see, I did have that question mm. earlier about oh, why are we like whether the book was written at one time because I I, I mm. did miss it. So it's yeah. something. <laughs> That's a brilliant question. Um, so two things. Number one, if you remember when I talked about Pauline episodes, I said that it would always help to to like through commentaries or something to go to the book of Acts. And figure out okay what exactly happened narratively when paul went to the city the first time or even things like this like apparently you would realize that second corinthians is not necessarily the second letter it seems like there was another letter that we don't have that paul wrote before he wrote second corinthians right stuff like that those are more historical things that you will not see in the text the best way to figure that out number one is through commentaries at the start of the book like or like even all those bibles that have that opening book introduction thingy right that they would explain okay Paul went there first in acts this and this these are the things that happened 
this is why he's writing this is where he's writing from that's one resource so good commentaries that have open so like i know barnes for instance um at the start of a book they have all of that there's a document i had remind me during the course of the week to share it next week i it's on my laptop but i need to find it it shows like a chronological account of the early church in terms of like when each letter was written from where stuff like that like where was paul when he wrote first corinthians which one did he write first and stuff like that and it's a great question because like just knowing that historical um context even helps you like situate stuff that okay according to acts paul went here then this and this happened so he had to go here and so it was from here he now wrote a letter here but then he went back all those kind of things it, it makes it really cool like it makes the text come alive and you're like oh i can see it happening in my day it's the equivalent of someone coming from canada maybe this and this happens and then they had to fly out but then they wrote a letter this and this happened they wanted to come but they couldn't so they wrote another letter you, you get so very great question and i always encourage people before you start any book of any epistle try and find out historically what happened in acts what happened where is paul writing from how many years after or how long after did he leave this place that he's writing there and stuff it just makes the whole thing come alive because at the end of the day remember these are real people real stories real lives like it's literally they met they had a physical relationship paul left he's right like it's it's the equivalent of reading people's text messages today or people's journal entries it's that real it's not just some mysterious oh the word of the lord standard sure no these are real interactions with people and that's why it's it, i like that like for instance like the last chapters of many books of the of the epistles because it makes it very real oh greet this person oh i wanted to come but i can't uh say hi to this one it's real like these were churches that believed what you believe today they were written by people to people and it's only when you can appreciate that that many things start to jump out so great question and um remind me during the course of the week but next week i would bring a proper set of resources that can help with that thank you very much all right delight go ahead okay really quickly and this um has to do with prophecy um the the last topic we treated so um you mentioned that like one of the sure ways to know if a prophecy is from god is that it comes to pass and like 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 the prophecy will come to pass that's one of the sure ways to know um and i think like with the prophecy of jesus that took like forever to like come to pass there was a long in between time in like in between the prophecy coming and it coming to pass so i'm just curious like like how how do we like reconcile that with like that we know that if, if the prophecy is from god then it surely comes to pass but we also know that prophecies tarry and they take a while sometimes mm great question great question um i think you're referring to first um first corinthians 13 sorry 12 and 14 where we talk about evaluating prophecy right um yeah yes and i said one of the ways to know is that it does come to pass right uh you've asked a good question in the sense in which in the moment sometimes it might not be you might not know like or rather it might take even god the ones god even used to say <laughs> talk less of man god will tell abraham right do you know how many years i think it was almost 15 years after before it happened that i will give you a son and so abraham was like ah when and then he said by this time 
or next in the next nine months according to the time of life you would have a son kind of thing and so um that was one of the ways to evaluating prophecy one of the ways especially for time-bound stuff so uh this is more accurate in things like say oh next year this will happen and then it doesn't happen uh-huh. there's no there's nothing you are necessarily waiting for they said next year it shows that okay maybe you heard wrong maybe it's your timeline maybe it's the whole thing altogether. but what i was giving was one of the ways to evaluate in prophecy there are still many other ways many other ways that are less subtle unfortunately right or ra- rather more subtle of course it's does he does it does he align with the word of god not only that but what we actually see in first corinthians 14 as the primary way right beyond the other does he align do you feel a um does it resonate with your spirit is what it should be judged verse 29 usually amongst spiritually mature people first corinthians 14 29 let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge almost as though other people with the gift of prophecy or well like anyways let me not go that hour but um let's if someone wants to prophesy when they speak let the community let the mature people let the elders let them hear what has been said let them evaluate it does is this really what god is saying and so even before we see the fulfillment we can say hmm we might not have seen it, but we know this is from God. An example is what we talked about today. Uh, Acts 11, if I remember correctly, about Agabus. He stood up and said what? A famine is coming. At that point, the famine hadn't come. But right from that moment, they, gather, they already started to gather to send to Jerusalem. Why? Because there were spiritually mature people there that heard what Agabus said and said, hmm, this is from God. And so, while yes, the fulfillment of it is one of the easiest ways, it's like, it's a way where even an unbeliever can look at and say, ah, this guy is a liar. <laughs> but in the moment, we discern by the Spirit. That's literally the only way we and the Word of God, by the Spirit and by the Word of God, where mature people that are also mature in the gifts of the Spirit, perhaps in prophecy as well, are able to hear what has been said. And through the Spirit and the Word of God, they say, okay, this is from God this is not from god i hope that answers your question hide lights oh sorry i was blessing with zooms all right awesome awesome thank you thank you very much uh any other questions any other questions all right if not to pray and then I will see you next week for First Thessalonians. <laughs> and yes, Anne, we're going to do a... I, I've, I've been thinking about how the whole thing will end. We'll probably have a testimonial week or a question week. A lot of stuff. Don't worry. Just stay tuned. Ooh, especially people that have been yes, <laughs> Week in, week out on live Zoom. Don't worry. You people are my people. We'll, we'll, we'll end with a blast. <laughs> I'm saying end like it's soon. We've not done Second Corinthians. Oh, we have not done romance. <laughs> but God, to Jesus be our glory. All right, let's pray. 
And then we call it a day. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, bringing us to the end of First Corinthians. Thank you for all the lessons we learned from issue to issue. And I thank you because we can reflect on the lives and the shortcomings of these people and see how we also can be communities that are better suited for your glory. I pray that the truth of your word shapes our lives on a daily basis. And even from today's teaching, I pray that we are more generous. I pray that we learn to honor people that are deserving of honor. I pray that we learn to pour out our lives for your service. I pray that we are people who are watchful, who stand fast in the faith, who are brave, who are strong, and whose lives are characterized by love. Lord, once again, we cry out just like Paul, Maranatha. We anticipate your arrival, Lord. And I pray that you teach us to live every day, preparing for that moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I would share my screen and then we take the benediction prepared to us by Buki and Ayo. You people have become like the woman with the alabaster boy. See, whenever this act is mentioned, it shall be a memorial. <laughs> All right, can we see my screen? Oh, yeah. mute yours. Huh? You said no? Yes. Yes. All right, yes. mute yourself. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word, and the word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am great. By the word, I am great. And in the word, my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Awesome. Thank you all for seeing, being with me since March. I will see you next week. For First Corinthians, sorry, eh? yeah. ah. <laughs> 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 they will start again. <laughs> Is that? Have a great week, guys. Don't forget to share. Don't forget, yeah, share with your friends. Say, now we have come to the end. You can listen to everything at a go. <laughs> um, I will see you next week. Bye.